Hi, everybody. Good morning to you, and very, very, merry, merry Christmas. Love you all so much, and what a great time of the year. It's, it's amazing to me how the Bible kind of brings us to, to the places that we are just at the right time. Now, I, I want you to know that the message we're going to give today out of 1 Timothy, this sixth chapter, right where we are, it centers upon the very essence of the, this baby that was born in the manger. We're going to take a look at him today, this morning, in three different ways. Really, the, the best way to see him. We're going to see him, of course, as the baby in the manger that was born in Bethlehem a couple of thousand years ago. We're going to also see him as the Father, God the Father. We're going to see the, the Father and how God the Father and God the Son are the same. And we're going to see the baby who grew up to be a man. The baby who grew up to to make the claims of, of deity to, to anyone and everyone that would listen to him, reaching out to every single one of us so that we might, we might not um, escape this life that we live right now without obtaining eternal life, so that we might walk with him. And so now I want us to turn to please 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want us to take a look at at this season that we're in called Christmas. Now, let's review just a bit, just to get into the flavor of this particular time and where we are in Scripture and, and, and also about Christmas. We have been talking about contentment. And I have been told over and over again that, that it is this time of the year that, that, that pressures kind of come upon us that, that, that steal our joy. And what Paul taught us clearly, and if you would please listen to what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and 13, he taught us that contentment, our, our joy, our peace, they are a learned experience. Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. He went on to say that he learned the secret of being filled and also going hungry. In other words, having an abundance and, and not having so much. He says, I have learned this secret. And then he tells us what the secret is, of course. In Philippians 4.13, he says that I can do or handle all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do or handle all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's this time of the year. The very essence of who Jesus is, is the birth of our Savior. Well, Paul warns in 1 Timothy, where you are right now, that contentment in verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, when it's connected to money or material things, Paul calls it the wanting to get rich. He calls it the love of money. When our contentment is connected with those things, then he says, some can steal and come in and steal our, our peace and our contentment if we're not careful. If you recall, he said in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6 that it can plunge us into ruin, he says, and despair or destruction. It can move some, sadly, to wander away from the faith and it can pierce others with many a pain. 
I want to fight against that with all of my heart for you and for me. That we will not be plunged into ruin or destruction. That God forbid that you and I in this coming year would wander away from our faith. And that we would pierce ourselves with many a pain. I've seen that happen over the years as perhaps you have in some of your friends' lives. And so Paul pleads with us. As we will read here from verses 11 through 16, he pleads with you and me to flee from these things. What things? Well, the things he just spoke about in verses 9 and 10. The wanting to get rich, the love of money. In other words, the the material things that will take us away from our walk with our Lord. But remember, please, I, I feel like I must say this. Being rich is not a problem. Scripture, scripture speaks that, that there are many people who are wealthy as from the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the wanting. It's the love of that we need to be careful. It's the compromise of our, our walk and our integrity with Christ that will steal away our joy and, and help many lose their contentment of life. And so Paul says, I would rather you pursue. I would rather that you and I would pursue, he says in verse 11, righteousness and godliness and faith and love, perseverance, gentleness, that we would, as it says in verse 12, fight the good fight. It is within this section of Scripture that we are going to read right now that you and I will find the wonders of this season, the wonders of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and God the Father, and find the true joy of this season that we call Christmas. Now, please, read with me verses 11 through 16. Paul says, Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, he says. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which He will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in, in an unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen, Paul con- concludes, or so be it. In that section of Scripture, we, we noted both the Father and the Son mentioned. And I'm going to take you back to the very essence of who the Son is and the Father is. And I'm going to take you back, if you don't mind, to that moment upon the birth of this one called Jesus. Pray with me, please. Father, as we 
as we contemplate this time of year, as we think about the very essence of, of Christmas and the hustle and the bustle of this season, that, that it has become a time where we've almost gotten so busy that we've forgotten what the season is truly all about. We've almost gotten to a place, Father, that, that if we don't share gifts with each other and, and just the pressure of, will my gift please her or him, we'll almost forget the very essence of this time of year. The gift that has been given to every single person on the face of this, this earth, if we would just respond to it. The gift of eternal life. What more can anyone ask for? The gift of the joy and the comfort and the contentment of knowing the Savior of this, this world. What more can anyone ask for? True to human beings, we've, we've lost ourselves in the hustle and the bustle of this time of the year. And for some, we've moved away from the very essence of what this time is all about. The worship of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. All the other things, Father, human beings have just added on. And so, Father, may we as a church, may we as a people take a deep breath and think about this time. Think about this wonderful season that we are about to walk into. And may we not lose our joy, our contentment. May we remember that it is a learned process and that we can do and handle all things through Christ who will strengthen us. And so, Father, I pray that you'd move me aside. Let's take a good look at your Son in all of his glory so that we might see the majesty of Christmas again, maybe with fresh eyes. I pray, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Paul says in this section of Scripture, of all the places that we would fall, we fall here this time of the year in 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 through 16. Paul says, I want you to flee and I want you to pursue. Note he says in verse 12, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. I want you, he says, to take hold of what is yours, eternal life. To which, he says, you and I have been called. I, I reason with you this morning that this is the sole purpose of Christmas. The sole reason for the birth of Jesus Christ. It is so that you and I might fight the good fight of faith and that we might take hold of the eternal life that has been given to us. Now, I want you to know that I get it. I, I, I know that eternal life is, is vague. It's like a... It's vague. It, it's like smoke. It's like a cloud. It's, it's, you can't really grab it. Unless you learn the secret of contentment. Unless we learn 
the secret of, of eternal life. That we can handle all things through Christ who desires to strengthen you and me. Now granted, this, this baby that was born in a manger, after his birth comes his life. I mean, his eventual life, uh, walking the streets of Jerusalem and, and all of the areas that he walked, and then his eventual death upon the cross, and then glory, his Easter his resurrection from the dead to complete the picture of who he really truly is. But first we see him this time of the year as a baby. A baby born in the manger in Bethlehem who is told that he was to be called Jesus. Emmanuel, God who is with us. The one who will take away the sin of the world. But falling upon your shoulders before we take a look at this baby is our part, your part and my part. And that is that our, our taking hold of this thing called eternal life and completing this, this whole cycle of life that is by making our good confession of faith in the presence of many witnesses. Have you ever done that? Dr. McGee writes, concerning this place in Scripture? He says, if you were to be put on trial for being a believer in Jesus Christ and they put you on trial, would there be enough evidence against you to prove you guilty as a believer? Would people be able to say, yeah, I know that this person here is a believer in Jesus Christ. I've seen evidence of his life. I've witnessed it. Have you and I made a good confession of our faith in the presence of many witnesses? Now that confession more than likely refers to a public confession of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that every true believer must make. Now what I'm going to ask you and me to do is to kind of hold our places here in 1 Timothy 6 and and jump from place to place with me. As you'll note on the board, we're going to have Romans, Philippians that we're going to look at, Romans and, and, and Matthew. And, and then I'll read you out of the book of Acts. You might not need to turn there, but you can if you wish. We'll take a look at the book of Revelation, which we are about to study. We're going to see that who truly is called the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then we'll close by looking at John chapters 8 and 10. And so what I'd like for you to turn with me first, if you don't mind, is to Romans chapter 10. Listen to what Paul says concerning this confession, this public confession of our faith in the presence of many witnesses. Romans chapter 10 verse 8 says this, What does it say? What does it say? It says this, the word is near you. It's, it's in your mouth. It's, it's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. You and I need to thank God that we come to a church that centers its whole process of church upon the word of God. Everything that we do is centered upon 
this book that you and I hold in, in our laps, or for my case, it's on this table. Centered on this. The words that are in here, they're, they're in your mouth. They're, they're in your heart. The word of faith that we have been preaching to you. Verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be what? You'll be saved. What a word. If you believe or confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Because He says in verse 10, with your heart, you believe that results in righteousness, the righteousness of God, not your own righteousness. And so with your heart you believe, and there comes the righteousness of God. And with your mouth you confess, and that results in salvation. And so Paul makes a pretty strong case for us fighting this good fight of faith and and taking hold of this thing called eternal life and making a good confession in the, in, the, in the presence of many witnesses so that people realize, who are we? You're in Romans. Turn to the right a little bit and find Philippians chapter 2. Paul is rel- relentless upon this. He, he wants us to confess. He says in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. What's that? What attitude? Well, it says, although he, Christ, existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But rather, it says in verse 7, Jesus Christ emptied himself. He took the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of man. He was born in a manger. He became a human being. He says in verse 8, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Have this attitude in yourself. I'd pretty much say it's humility. For this reason, it says in verse 9, God highly exalted Jesus Christ. He gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of of Jesus every knee should bow. Those who are in heaven, those who are on earth, and those even who are under the earth. Listen now, verse 11, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you ever made that good confession of faith in the presence of many witnesses? Do people know where you stand? You know, I know I'm speaking to the choir. I understand that. I get it. But come Christmas season, you never know. There might be friends and family who, who come to church with you, and if you are visiting with us, I make no apology. I'm speaking to you. I love you that much. Might even make you uncomfortable. For that, I ask your forgiveness if it's me that's making you uncomfortable. But if it's the words of 
of our Savior, then so be that. That every tongue will confess. You see, folks, there, there, there is no option. We either bow down and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior now while we are alive, or we will do it when it will do no good to our eternal salvation. It will just be that God will have everybody confess His Son as Lord to the glory of God. That will take place. So our choices are narrow. We can do it now. Don't do it later. Why ought we do this? Well, let's talk about this baby that was born. Let's take a good look at him. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. That's to the left, of course. It's the first book in the New Testament. The first gospel. Matthew. Then comes Mark. Luke and then John. Perhaps what was said about this baby born in the manger, this child born to Joseph and Mary some 2,000 years ago will tell us something very important about him. It says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, I'm going to explain the birth of Christ. Let's talk about it just before we read it. There's a man and this woman... She's betrothed to him. They are not officially married yet because they've not come together. They've not had an intimate relationship with one another yet. Out of the blue, she tells him, I'm pregnant. Stop for a moment. What would you say? You know that you have not slept with her. And she tells you she's pregnant. What would we say? What would any normal man say? I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, she says, don't worry, it was of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, right. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I don't think so. Have you ever really looked at Joseph? says that he's a righteous man. I'll tell you he's a righteous man. In my book, he is a very righteous man. And have you ever really looked at Mary and what what must have gone through her heart at this moment? See, it wasn't a common place that people got pregnant outside of marriage in those days. Maybe today... No big deal. Sadly, those things that used to be good are now not so good, and those things that used to be bad are now not so bad. But look what happens here. It says in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, in verse 19, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Look at he didn't want to do her no harm. He loved that girl. But he didn't want to have her as his wife when he knew that he didn't give her the baby. 
So we decided to put her away secretly so that she'd not be embarrassed. Righteous man. Verse 20, it says, When he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and he said to him, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is, may I add the word truly? Truly of the Holy Spirit. She's going to bear a son, Joseph. You're going to, verse 21, you're going to call his name Jesus, Joseph, because it is he who is going to save his people from sin, their sins. Did you catch that? This one that is going to be called Jesus is going to save his people, that means you and me, from our sin. It says in verse 22, all of this now took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. And the prophets proclaimed that one day there would be a virgin, verse 23, who shall be with child and she shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates to mean God is with you. You know, some people like to water down that she wasn't really a virgin. That just means she was a young girl. You mean to tell me that it is a miracle that a young girl has a baby boy? No, I don't think so. The miracle is she was a virgin. And she was in, conceived in her was a child by the Holy Spirit of God. And they were to call his name Jesus because he was going to take away the sin of this world. They were going to call him Emmanuel because God is now with us. If you turn back to 1 Timothy, I want you to listen to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Probably one of the great verses in all of Scripture. Listen to what is said of this one called Jesus, this baby born in a manger. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which you and I must be saved. There is no other name. There is no one else. Jesus said it. I am the way and the truth and life, and you cannot come to the Father but through me, says Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name that has been given to mankind under heaven by which you and I must be saved. And so back to 1 Timothy chapter 6 where Paul tells Timothy and us in verse 14, keep the commandment without stain, Timothy. Keep it without reproach, he says in verse 14, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That statement is key to your faith and my faith this Christmas season as well as it is throughout the whole year. Remember Paul said in verse 12 that a true follower of Jesus Christ is someone who is going to fight the good fight of faith. Someone who is going to take hold of the eternal life by which we've been called. Well, verses 13 and 14 in 1 Timothy 6 tells us why we're to do this and how we're to do it. 
how we are to fight the good fight of faith, why we are to take hold of this eternal life with which we've been called. The why is, look at verse 13, the why is simple. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. The why we are to accept Jesus Christ is because He is the one who gives life to everything. You and me. Not physical life, spiritual life, eternal life. That's why we are to fight the good fight of faith. That's why we are to take hold of this eternal life from which we've been called how we're to handle that life that we have is found in verses 14 and 15. We're to keep this commandment without stain or without reproach until the appearing of Jesus Christ, which God bring about at the proper time. In other words, we're to keep our faith with integrity. We're to live our lives as believers with honesty and without hypocrisy until the Lord returns. And that'll happen at the proper time. God's timing, not ours. And now we shift gears. We don't speak of His birth anymore. But now we speak of the coming, coming back of Jesus Christ to this earth one day. When the apostles were with Jesus and He told them, I want you to go into all the nation and I want you to preach the gospel to every person on the face of this earth. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them what I have taught you. And when he said these things, it says in Acts chapter 1, he started to levitate. He, he, he started to leave the earth. Can you imagine? I mean, one time, one time long ago, I don't know if Jimmy, you were there in spring training. You remember when they shot the rockets off from Cape Kennedy and we, we were at Vero and we could see it as clear as a bell? And everything and everyone, when they shot off the first one, everyone on the, on the fields just stopped. There was no throwing of balls. There was no hitting of baseballs. There was no catching of baseballs. There was just all of us with our mouths open, gazing into the sky and seeing this rocket take off. And we watched it until it it kind of just disappeared. Well, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, it says, Men of Galilee, why are you looking into the sky? I mean, these two angels are there, but can you? I couldn't even imagine any of them saying, when he said, Men of angels, go, what? I mean, they, I'm sure they just watched him go. And he said to them, Why are you looking up in the sky to see Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven? It says, He's going to come in the same way as you've watched him go. He will come back at the proper time. You and I ought to be ready because we don't know when that day is. Well now, Paul closes up this amazing place in Scripture in verses 15 and 16, talking about God the Father. But I say to you, that he is talking about God the Father and God the Son. Let me show it to you. In verse 15, Paul writes these words, which he will bring about, meaning God at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that title also applies 
to none other than that baby that was born in the manger. That baby who grew up to be a man who claimed to be God Almighty, the Messiah on earth. That baby who went up into heaven itself and one day will come back. And when he comes back, we are told in the book of Revelation, the 17th chapter, the 14th verse, it is said of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, he says he will rage war against his enemies. And the Lamb will overcome them because He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those who are with Him are called chosen, faithful. That's why we are to keep the commandment without stain or reproach. That's us believers who will come back with Jesus. And we are told in the 19th chapter and the 14th verse, I believe it is. Let me see if I can read it up there. No, 16th. That we're going to come back with him riding on horses. I can't even imagine. Can you? I can't ride a horse. I fell off a horse, broke a couple on the ribs. I'm not getting back on a horse again until I'm there. And I got to believe the Lord's going to put a strap around my little waist. So don't fall. We are told in book of Revelation, can't wait till we get there, but who knows when. That's in the 19th chapter. Listen what is said of Jesus Christ. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. You know what it is? King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the baby. That's the baby now that grew up. That's the one you and I are worshiping next week, Saturday. That's the one we're celebrating next week, Saturday. The King of kings and the Lord of lords who will one day come back and reign upon this earth. In verse 16, in 1 Timothy again speaks of our eternal Father saying, He alone possesses immortality and He dwells in an unapproachable light whom no man has seen nor can see. Paul finishes by saying to him, be honor and eternal, do, eternal domina, dominion, excuse me, amen, or so be it. But you see, Paul is talking not only about God the Father, but he is talking about that baby born in the manger. Now I want us to close here. You can you can hold you can don't have to hold your place in First Timothy any longer, but turn with me to the left and find the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Please, John chapter eight. I want you to see what Jesus Christ said about himself when he grew up to be a man. Listen to his words. The religious leaders of that day were always questioning him. Who are you? They had their agenda. They didn't like the fact that he claimed to be God. The reason they didn't like it is because he was taking all of the authority and power and, 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 and being prominent within the society away from them. That's sadly too true of many people. And in John chapter 8, starting with verse 48, they come to Jesus Christ. They, meaning the Jews. When you see the Jews, it's not talking about the, the race of people. It's talking about the religious leaders. They said to him, they asked him this question in verse 48, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? In other words, are you not demon-possessed? I mean, how do you do these things that you're doing? 
And Jesus said to them in verse 49, I do not have a demon. Rather, he says, I honor my father. Rather, he says, you dishonor me. He says in verse 50, I don't seek my own glory. There is one who will seek and judge. Truly, he says, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. Now, stop. Why did he say that? Why did he say that? I think, now forgive me, if I'm putting something on our Lord that that ought not to belong there, maybe I'm showing too much of my own personality, but I think he's just giving them one of these. He knew they were going to react to that. Anyone who keeps my word will never see death. He knew that would push their button. In my opinion, he knew that, and I believe that's what happens. They said to him in verse 52, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died. The prophets died. And you say that if anyone keeps your word, they'll never taste death? You're not greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets who died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered and said, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you, you have not come to know him. I do. And if I say that I don't, I'm going to be a liar just like you. There he goes again. But I know him and I keep his word. And then he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. They knew what he was saying. They said to him, what are you kidding me? Verse 57, you're not even 50 years old yet. And you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Do you hear it? I'm God. Well, they, they understood. So do you. So does this world. They get it. They just reject it. In verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him, but he hid himself. Turn to the next page. Look at chapter 10. Not too much too longer afterwards. They come to him again. If you can only imagine, they come to him again. And in verse 24, there they are again, the Jews, the religious leaders, gathered around Jesus Christ, and they said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Folks, that's the lament you hear over and over and over and over again. People keep saying, I need more information. What more information do you need? What more information do you and I need to be a man and woman of God? We have all the information we need. Oh, no, Lord, tell us plainly. Should I go to EE? Let me know. Should I get in small groups? Tell me plainly. Okay. Okay. I get that. So Jesus said to them in verse 25, I've already told you, and you don't believe. You don't believe the works that I do in my Father's name because these bear witness of myself, of who I am, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I I give eternal life to them. Please don't pass over those words. 
I give eternal life to them. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And just in case you're wondering, he says, verse 29, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one will be able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, because I and my Father are one. What happened when he said that? Same thing that happened when he says, before Abraham was born, I am. I and my father are one, he said. And they again, it says in the next verse, in verse 31, they picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus stopped them in the process of trying to throw these stones and asked them, I showed you many good works. Which one of them are you going to stone me for? What, What are you stoning me for, guys? And they answered him and said, for, for the good work that you have done, we're not going to stone you. But we're going to stone you for blasphemy. Verse 33, you being a man, have just made yourself out to be God. Look, folks, this baby born in a manger is now all grown up. Don't you see, they understood exactly what it was that Jesus Christ was saying. And so do you, and so do I. What's our excuse? Time. Not smart enough. I don't have enough energy, really. What's our excuse? We know what he's said. We hear that he is God Almighty. We heard that salvation comes only in his name. That he and the Father are one. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given among you and me by which we must be saved, we've heard. I come to tell you that this baby that we celebrate Saturday morning, Christmas, is none other than God Almighty. Don't forget that fact. And don't forget that He desires to give you eternal life. And so I plead with you as I plead with myself, please let us all make a good confession of our faith. Let us please, all of us, take hold of this eternal life that we have been given at Christmas time. This amazing gift is available to every single one of us. I wonder if you might think with me for a moment. Could you guys maybe lower the lights so that maybe there's no distractions and Maybe you and I can think for a moment. When's the last time you've made a real good confession of your faith? In, 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 the, in the presence of many witnesses, when has that been? We are told if we call upon His name, if we take a hold of this thing called eternal life by making a good confession, that with our hearts, when we believe, we will it will be given to us as righteousness. That's the righteousness of God. And with our mouth, we confess that results in salvation. I don't know. I don't want to take any more time, but I, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to maybe rededicate yourself back to this time of the year rather than all the busyness of it that we just get back to the very essence of what this is really all about, and that's loving our Savior that was born in Bethlehem.
who is God Almighty, who wants to give you and me eternal life and wants us to keep this good confession without stain or without reproach until He comes. Now with this crowd this size, maybe there's someone here that's never really made that profession of your faith. Maybe you've never asked Christ into your heart. I would encourage you to do so right now. If you don't know what to say and words are not important, they're not. It's your heart that's important. But if you want to say something to the Lord and you don't know, maybe you would follow after me in a prayer. Just maybe bowing your head and simply saying, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me my sin. Come into my heart. Make me the type of person you've created me to be. May I celebrate this season, Father, with the joy of knowing you first and foremost. And then all of the hustle and the bustle of this season might fall into place. Father, for every one of us here, we thank you that we can continually come back to you and renew this this faith that you've given us, this good confession that we've made in the presence of many witnesses. Father, may this Christmas truly be one of our best ever. Not by the gifts that we give, nor the gifts that we may receive, but rather just by the the heart attitude that we would have of loving you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our might, with all of our minds. You deserve that and so much more. So Lord, we thank you for Christmas, the birth of the baby born in the manger who is none other than God Almighty, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's in his name that we thank you, Father. Amen. Merry Christmas. I love you all. I'll see you Friday at 3 and at, or 5, and then see you next week. Have a great Christmas. God bless you and love you very much. Love you very much.